Welcome to Risk Roundup. An unmanned aerial vehicle, in short referred to as UAV, commonly known as a drone, is on its way to becoming smaller, faster, accessible, and affordable. From pizza delivery to package delivery, from residential security to critical infrastructure security, from spying to surveillance and more, drones are emerging today to play a very critical role for individual and entities across nations, its government industries, organizations, and academia, in short referred to as NGIOA. While the rapid democratization of UAVs or drones brings many opportunities for individuals and entities across NGIOA, it also brings numerous complex challenges, critical security risks, and concerns. The question is whether individuals or entities across NGIOA are prepared for the rise of drones in their operational ecosystem. To discuss the complex security challenges of UAVs or drones, I'm delighted to welcome Egbert Woodsberg to Risk Roundup. Egbert is the founder of Drone Aviator, a software development firm providing cybersecurity technology to the growing UAV industry. Welcome, Egbert. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. Well, thank you so much. We're, uh, you know, we're excited to be here. Wonderful, Egbert. So the increasing popularity of UAVs or drone aircraft, it could be domestic, commercial, or military, has introduced a whole range of new security concerns. While it seems drones, drones are transforming the way we operate and approach security and surveillance in geospace, it also brings many complex securities to all of us individuals. What is changing and where is this going? Well, it, it, it's a very interesting dilemma that's being caused by drones, right? So this is something that's been going on for quite some time. In fact, drones aren't new, right? Uh, the drone's been around for multiple decades. In fact, the uh, military used to call them targets. So the, the issue here is not one of uh, what uh, the risks or the security that drones pose as much as that there's been a convergence of technologies in the last 24 months. Uh, the first and foremost one is the ability for the drone manufacturers to really shrink down and create the uh, the platform, right? So that's number one. And then when they've done that, the second piece that has caught up with technology and the broadband capability. So now you have a platform that has the same capability that a military uh, vehicle had before, but now it's being given to a to the public. And so with that, uh, the challenges that you're having something that uh, heretofore was only available to big manufacturers or big entities that they're wanting to do whatever surveillance or they wanted to do in the case of military target practice to identify and test their systems. But those same capabilities are now in the hands of the public. And because it's still a very emergent field, what's happening is that the um, Drones are becoming very ubiquitous, and there is really no limit to where and the utility of what they can use. And so that's the challenge that we have before us. It's, it's a great time, 2017, to see how the technology is advancing and how it not only is advancing, but how it's advancing our economy. Uh, it was said that recently uh, we attended the Elevate Uber conference last week in Dallas. And what was interesting about this particular conference is I know Uber has been in the news in the last couple of months and for whether you love Uber or maybe you don't like Uber, but the one thing that uh, the Uber leadership has done is that they threw down the gauntlet last week in Dallas. And the gauntlet they threw down is that in 10 years, they wanted to see 
flying taxis. They want to be able to provide transportation uh, to the world. And instead of ground transportation, they're taking to the skies because that's now the new playground. Yes, it is a new playground. And also, you mentioned about the convergence of technologies with this drone technology. The machine learning is also, I believe, uh, is uh, you know growingly you know used in uh, many of the areas that we'll be talking in uh, next few minutes. But this, all these different conversions of technologies is uh, you know making this a whole new complex set of challenges because if the military has all this, that is you know one thing. But when it is democratized and when everyone has access to that kind of technology and when it is affordable and accessible that brings a whole new set of challenges so from your perspective and observation where do you see the drones that are used currently i mean we will talk about flying taxis later uh, later when uber is you know as you you know mentioned it is uh, working on that but the if we are talking about drones and the industries mm -hmm. where do you see the use currently well, right now, the uh, Goldman Sachs did a study. So they're one of the first uh, investment houses to come out and really provide some clarity as far as what is going to, what's the roadmap, right? And what industries do, you, do they see? And uh, the three major industries right now are agriculture, construction, and to some degree, the real estate, surveying, mapping, those kind of things. But those are the three big industries that are they're being utilized right now. Uh, on the consumer side, that's commercial. On the consumer side, though, uh, right now the largest manufacturer is a Chinese company called DGI. They have anywhere between 60 to 70% of the market. Uh, GoPro uh, entered the, the market last year with uh, their Karma. Now, granted, they had some issues initially, but they're uh, very, um, they're motivated to enter this market as well and others right it seems like there's a an entry into the drone market every single month in the united states and where we see it going right now is twofold number one on the commercial side it's being utilized to get information and data that hasn't been readily accessible before right so that same kind of data that a, a warfighter that a theater commander would get by using a predator or a global hawk which is uh basically now the standard and the information, the kinds of data that they're able to derive from that, that same kind of ca uh, capability is now available to your local construction company. So when they go out to survey a site, uh, to start creating a roadmap, when they create proposals for development, when they, when they provide those to a public agency, when they're getting all their licenses and trying to get all the different things that have to occur, that kind of capability is now available to commercial entities. And so right now, the uh, that's where we see it going. That's where I see it going right now is using drones to provide that capability to get data for them to be able to assess and to manage their projects. That that is a good advantage. I mean, that is a benefit that we see. The construction industry would have access to that kind of platform and that kind of uh, information. Now, I also see that it is widely used for surveillance of many different kind. Apart from this construction industry using for uh, getting all the all the data, but there it is also used very significantly uh, for surveillance. And also, I see that the governments are getting involved in also using these uh, drones for the surveillance of the common public. Is that uh, what you see? Well, yes and no, right? So you, you now touched on something which is privacy. And in the United States, that's, uh, that's right now, that's a lightning rod when it comes to 
using drones in that capacity and that ability, especially when it, when you talk about uh, law enforcement agencies uh, and their ability to use a drone. Uh, in fact, we were at a State of the City address and here locally in San Diego, City of Chula Vista, Mayor Salas, and we were speaking with her chief of new chief of police. And they actually have a program. They're one of the spearheading, one of the first programs in California where their uh, officers are getting license 107 so that they're licensed commercially to be able to operate a drone. And they're developing a program to be able to use drones for surveillance because, as you can imagine, a SWAT commander, uh, on the scene commander, to be able to use, utilize a drone, bird's eye view, identify what's going on in the scene, be able to identify, okay, this is. They, they go through their checklist. They're trying to identify what's going on. And, and having that capability is incredible for them because now they're able to truly deploy their, their resources where they need to deploy them, right? And they can, they can uh, be able to accurately depict what is actually going on, not only on the scene, but also obviously at command back at the, at the police headquarters. So the challenge though with that is just the public perception of that, right? In, in light of WikiLeaks, in light of some of the, uh, the body cams or the cameras that the police officers have on their vehicles, uh, there's a perception out there that uh, the police or law enforcement may not be using it correctly or it, it, you know, there's a privacy issue there that still has to be worked out. And so right now, that's number one issue that I think that drones have as far as surveillance and that any law enforcement agency would have is to make sure and informing the public about all their protocols and procedures in, in the utilization of drones and not just the utilization, it's the data, right, that they get. And how is that gonna be utilized? How is that gonna be utilized in, uh, in the form of evidence, right? So that's the other piece that's fairly new is how, you know, right now they take pictures, they have a certain protocol they, that has been established to be able to include with uh, evidence. And so how does the drone footage fit into that? And how, does, how, does, how is a structure created in order to be able to combine it and then put a program around that? Definitely, definitely. There is a privacy issue is uh, certainly, you know, one of the many uh, important uh, criteria that needs to be worked out. There needs to be guidelines. There needs to be some sort of framework so that, you know, individuals, common in citizens are not terrified of what is coming their way. And uh, more than privacy, I believe it's the security that is that has a bigger challenge, because if you have drones flying in very heavily populated residential areas, there is no guarantee that there won't be malfunction or there won't be any uh, other, you know, misuse or uh, any mechanical failure or something that could happen uh, and it falls. The propeller blades on that, they are so sharp mm -hmm. that could, you know, kill any human being if that is not, we are not able to control those kind of accidents. So there are a lot many issues that needs to be sorted out before we can use drones in residential areas or for, you know, a lot of advantages that we see this kind of technology brings, but we are nowhere near there. And there is also need for using some sort of technology that if any individual feels threatened that a drone is coming very close to that person and that person's life is at risk, then, then we need to have some sort of shut off switch or some sort of technology that we can turn that off. Those are a lot of things that needs to be uh, thought about and you know developed before we can use this technology in residential areas. But we will talk about that later. Let's talk broadly about drones and its use for security. 
where which industries are using drones for security not just the surveillance but the in security purpose where do you see the user currently well there's various areas uh when you start looking at say utilities uh looking at uh the uh, industrial complexes that already currently have physical uh, perimeters and they're utilizing drones right so the ability for them now to have that same capability for their current security forces for hardened or um, secure areas, depending on you know who's doing research and development or just for just normal industrial uh, security. So it's being utilized there. Utilities are using them for infrastructure, right? So the railroads are using drones now. There's already a, a, a Pathfinder program with the FAA. And what that is, is they're working directly with the railroads at BNSF and uh, in inspection of our rail rail lines. That's something that's the common thing that has to happen every day, depending on what part of the country you're in, that the railroad uh, has to be, every day has to be inspected. And normally that's done by a person. So in this case, now utilizing a drone, obviously it's way more efficient. Yes. And also it's also safer because again, having people on the tracks and the situations that arise there. So right now, I would suggest that those are some of the places where you could see drones being used for security, uh, but also military installations. While they not may, may not be using drones, the idea there is the fact that any place that requires a, a more sophisticated or can or wants to utilize the more sophisticated uh, method of, of identifying spots and points where vulnerabilities are more likely to be using drones. Yes, yes, no, definitely. But there's a lot of talk about drone security guard, that mm -hmm. if we have drone security guards, they would be more effective than human guards. Do you think that uh, drones are ready to patrol? Well, right now, I would say no, but I'm not the expert. I would, I would talk to some of our AI friends, right? Because at the end of the day, in order to be a, a drone, frankly, a drone is just another sensor. It just happens to fly, right? And so the ability of the person that is actually managing the drone, that's flying the drone, is really what's in question here. And so it just extends the capability of that security guard to be able to identify and to patrol and to take action, actionable, you know, have their intelligence to do actionable items that they need to do. So really for now, I think the drone is being utilized really to, in that extension. But to your point, we're gonna talk about AI and talking about where machine learning comes in as we get more sophisticated algorithms, as we get more sophisticated systems, as the battery uh, life of a drone expands, because that's the other piece, right? There, The average drone is anywhere between 25 minutes, maybe up to an hour, depending on the size and configuration and weather, because as you know, uh, cold temperatures affect batteries. Uh, really right now, that's the limiting factor as far as uh, how long a drone's up in the air. That is very true. And then wired drones doesn't make any sense because they, you know, they cannot go that far. So that is an important point that we need to work out, you know, how to extend the battery life. But from your perspective, how many manufacturers are out there uh, from your observation that are, you know, uh, manufacturing and uh, selling the security drones? Security drones? Um, that's, in that's an interesting question, right? Because uh, as far as for security drones, they're the the current manufacturers are out there which are like the dgi um gopro which is more for the consumer use uh, and then you have other players that are out there ehang parrot which is a european company 
there really hasn't been one that's kind of come out and saying, look, we're, this is our niche. We're doing physical security or security type drones. What's happening is, or at least the observation we're seeing is that the more common drones are being customized because, for example, the DJI drone, uh, the Matrice, which is the heavy lift type of drone, or the more popular one is the Inspire. And made, made famous, by the way, by that TV show, APB, where uh, the millionaire in Chicago is using his technology, and one of the technologies he uses quite frequently is his drones to capture the bad guy or get surveillance for the cops that he gives them information. So what happens is there's a customization that's going on, and, and, and those drones are being customized to do a certain thing. But again, we're still fairly new in the in the industry, and you, there's manufacturers out there, I'm sure, somewhere in the world, that are working on a drone that they want to bring to market that is specific to a security type application. Yes, yes, definitely. Now, I read somewhere recently that an Israeli company, it has developed a fully autonomous commercial drone system that can provide round-the-clock service um, and security without the need for any human intervention. Uh, you know, at any strategic sites, you can put it near on uh, near a critical infrastructure. Or uh, mm -hmm. is that something we are seeing that kind of development in US? Uh, if there is, um, it's not publicly known, right? Because again, that's one of those situations where you're now taking some technology. And remember, drone technology came from the military, right? From DARPA projects, from those kinds of um, organizations, and now they, they're being commercially applied. Uh, for example, General Atomics, right? The Predator uh, manufacturer. They now have a version of that platform that can be utilized outside the United States by other countries for the same type of uh, project. Uh, AeroVironment, which is a mid-level, uh, what's called tier two or tier three uh, UAS, which is a smaller UAS, but used uh, out in the field. They developed their own commercial application that stays up for a long period of time, specifically for, say, longer flights, say, for the railways, for example, or power lines. So what you're seeing is that the major manufacturers that have been in the, in the space for quite some time now are developing their own capabilities in a commercial aspect using technologies developed specifically for a commercial application. I see, I see. Now, if we, I, I, that is certainly, you know, one area where we'll have to keep an eye on because there are the parts that are used in developing drones, they are not some, you know, highly confidential, you know, uh, parts that only military can, you know, develop or it's very hard to get. These, all these parts that are used to develop a drone are available, you know, in a very, easy manner so it's like do it yourself anyone who has a knowledge of how to construct a drone they can construct a drone so it doesn't matter how many manufacturers or how, how many conf confidential uh, projects are going on any person who is knowledgeable enough and want to develop a drone and want to uh, use it for harming others that person would be able to do it just like you know cybersecurity uh, hackers they if they want to create uh, tools to hack into the systems and create uh, chaos and uh, catastrophe they are very you know they they can do that because it is all possible so that is something we'll have to keep an eye on because this just like cyber warfare this could also lead to drone warfare and we are not prepared for the challenges that are coming our way or how to manage those kind of security challenges and let's talk about the cyber security especially what role it plays here because 
I read a report that there a hacker was able to hijack a police drone from a mile away. Exactly. So it seems that uh, we are the drone security is highly vulnerable. What is your assessment? Uh, well, I think you have underscored the the big challenge or the elephant in the room, which is frankly, it's not really an elephant. It's just a function of whether it's going to be addressed or not. Now, to your point of the police drone that was hacked, uh, I would dare say, and I, I don't know specifically, but I dare say that, that that particular police drone was a commercial drone that was readily available, and it was being used by that police department. So most drones right now in, in the market are uh, operating on open frequency, right? 2.4 gigahertz, which is the normal SEC. Now with that, what happens is that in order to uh, they, they're in, unencrypted. So in essence, if you can identify what signal the operator, that drone pilot is using to control that particular drone and find that channel, and then you take over the drone by providing a, a much stronger signal, right? The command the middle attack, in essence, is what you're doing. And then now you take control of the drone, and now you're able to use the drone at will. And so the problem there is twofold. Number one, most commercial drones that are out there are the ones that are being utilized by pretty much everybody, right? Unless there's a customization that occurs. And if that's the case, the architecture of those drones right now is open. And that's why there, anybody, anybody could, could take over that drone. Now, the uh, FAA considers drones an aircraft. That's the designation that they carry. And with that, it is illegal to take over control of a drone because of that. It's no different than if you take over the command and controller of a 747, right? That's that's the level of uh, scrutiny and, and the level of legislation that currently is on the books. However, the challenge is that the 747 has safeguards in order for that not to occur, whereas in the case of a drone, especially if it's being used by a government agency, unless they make a customization, they are vulnerable because of that. Yes. Very true, very true. They are vulnerable. And it also seems that hackers can reverse engineer the drone's flight software. And they can also impersonate the controller to send navigation commands. And uh, they can block all the commands from the drone's legitimate operators. So mm -hmm. there are very complex security challenges here. How do you think that we should address those challenges? Well, they should be addressed no different than we address uh, the typical cybersecurity challenges, right? Um, and using the same best practices. And the issue, though, is that I think all our cybersecurity experts and everybody that's already combating that particular piece has their hands full just on the next generation, either whether it be malware, uh, phishing attacks, uh, all these different things that it seems like there's something new that happens every day, right? So I guess the question is, and that was brought up at Black Hat last year, at one of the CISO conferences is, look, we're, so, we're, we're still catching up to the latest security threat that's out there globally, right? So when you bring up an Internet of Things security issue, like what just happened with the, uh, the DNS attack on DIN that took down Netflix, Amazon, and all, and all the others a couple of months ago, where uh, it was the first time that IoT devices, right, were slaved and they were able to execute a DNS attack. Uh, that's the realm that we operate in when you talk about drones, right? When you're talking about something that's a part of that IoT spectrum. However, the challenge with a drone, though, is it's at the top of the IoT spectrum because it is it operates in three dimensions. And so the ability for it to cause more damage or to do more harm 
is acutely higher by a magnitude of five or higher because of that. Yes, very true, very true. It is much higher. And uh, it's also seems that at, I'm not sure if it is across nations, if this is true, but uh, most of the drones, they are not connected to the internet. So if if the manufacturers, you know, release one batch of a drone and they then find out that there is a security flaw, they want to fix it, but there is no way to fix it because how do they uh, update this uh, security uh, software update? How would we do that? That's a very interesting question. Uh, the the assumption there is that there, number one, there is security protocols into the architecture. And the second assumption is that there's an ability to update just no different than we update see our phones. And um, frankly, that's not the case. That is not the architecture right now in our current drones, right? So the manufacturers right now are creating a product, it's a consumer product for the most part or commercial product that they sell and it's gone. There is no update. The only update that occurs currently is within the flight controller system because you have to use the flight controller system, whether it be the, the one that comes with the with the drone, say for example, in the case of a DJI, the DJI Go app. So that's how you actually physically fly the drone. That piece is upgraded all the time. Um, or you use a, a separate third party application, say in the, in the case of uh, construction, the drone deploy and others. Uh, Verizon just picked up a brand new company called Skyward which is a CMS management system for drones, uh, for a fleet of drones, right? Think of it as if you had a fleet of vehicles, how do you do the maintenance and keep track of all those kind of things, who's operating the drone, that kind of thing. So the challenge really right now is on the manufacturer side is, uh, is there a security element being architected into the drone platform? And I think that's really the question that should be asked. And, and if so, what kind of, what, what is that? What is the best practice? What is the underwriter lab UL codes, which we currently don't have for drones as far as it relates to security and protecting and upgrading and providing those parameters? So that is a very good point that you made that. But are we in the process of uh, defining that kind of security? We're in the initial stages. Uh, I know that the Department of Commerce um, Standards Office and then also your typical ASTM and others are all looking to provide some form of structure and some form of framework for everybody to operate in. Uh, here in San Diego, uh, we're a part, I'm a part of the IEEE uh, Society and uh, our local uh, robotics and, uh, and automation society is looking to put together a framework in collaboration with industry that we could we could present to IEEE to see if where all the stakeholders want to go and let's get them all at the table and start creating these standards because until there are standards set then pretty much uh, anybody or any organization is going to develop it according to what they feel is appropriate in their business case. Of course, I mean we are in the early stages. It's understandable that we don't have everything in place, but at the same time, the benefit that this. Uh, technology provides to each and every individual or each and every entity across nations is government industries organizations and academia it's it's going to define a very heavy use of these drones if you look at universities they are going to use it for campus security if you look at you know farmers they are going to use it for uh, their farms or you know any any area you see they will benefit including the residents you know the home security will be taken over by uh, this uh, uh, drones. So there, there is a lot of different uh, applications that are emerging and 
when you look at that there's going to be heavy heavy usage of drones and it's this is not something like in cyberspace so we don't have to worry about it these are physical things that would be flying in our airspace so it brings so many different challenges so many complex challenges and uh, there is going to be a very heavy uh, requirement for everyone to come together to define how to put together an effective framework because the guidelines and all that if we define that uh, we need to have certain uh, only usage of uh, this kind of drones it can cannot be used in certain areas or it cannot be used by uh, for certain uh, usage it would be illegal just by defining it illegal it's not going to make any difference because airplanes we still know how many airplanes are there in the world you can still count it once the drones come into use in the the democratization of these drones you won't be even able to count how many drones are there it's going to be that that is the magnitude of difference that we'll see that on one side if we try to govern it or regulate it based on how we are regulating uh, the airplanes us aviation industry or any global aviation industry this probably will not work based on that because these are very stark differences here and uh, if you look at the even just the security challenges other than the cyber security and the physical security that comes into play there is also you know the radio communication could be uh, hacked and uh, uh, the authentication standards because right now the we have very poor authentication standards for the drones so there are a lot of the way we are approaching setting the guidelines or setting the uh, regulations i'm not sure it's going to be effective here okay um you touched on a couple of different things that at the end of the day the the, the big crux of the matter, at least for the United States, right, is that until there is a, a foundation of a framework in which that all the players know the rules, that, that you understand this is my path that I can take, uh, whether it be on the R&D side, whether it be on utilization, whether it be on the regulation once it is out uh, in the marketplace, uh, you're going to get the kind of response that we've been getting, which is that those players that are, that are not risk averse and are willing to take that chance and develop a product, they're going to go ahead and develop it and put it out in the marketplace because the market is demanding this platform. And then the other piece to that is there is no limit to the utilization of this platform. It's limited only by your imagination. Yes. It's uh, every day. It seems daily. I get surprised. Not surprised, but there's a new, a new utility that occurs because the this platform is so versatile, right? Not only does it cross every single vertical there is, whether it be in security, whether it be uh, construction, whether it be in entertainment, real estate, uh, whatever. Uh, you're looking whatever whatever vertical you're looking at. You're looking at a platform that's that is ubiquitous, that is agnostic, and at the end of the day, it's driven by uh, the ability to use that technology either at a large scale. For example, if you're lifting somebody like a, a person, in the case of Uber, which by the way, um, Uber starting their trial in Dubai this summer, where they're going to be doing that. So that's that's in a case that's an extreme case as far as carrying people. But other cases, such as using a, a smaller drone for reconnaissance, and of course the 
the movies make those pretty uh, pretty fantastic, right? The Eye in the Sky movie with Helen Mirren, where they had that little uh, mosquito that they could bring in as a drone and then, and then perch it there and it'd be able to collect information. We're not too far removed from that. I mean, I know that's Hollywood, but we're not too far removed from that. And so really the ability here is how do we, how do we as an industry uh, set ourselves a good foundation to grow? And right now the, ability, the, the regulation or the lack of direction on that regulations, right, as to how the drone should be classified Right now it's classified as an aircraft, but is it really, right? Uh, and then do the same rules and regulations and criteria apply to a 25 pound drone that, you know, with a 25 ton airplane? You know, they're using the same, the same methodology for, for risk uh, mitigation. So those are things that have to be played out. Mm -hmm. And if they're not played out, there will be countries that are more open to allowing R&D, for example, in New Zealand, Australia, Certain Poland, certain countries in Europe, where at first they were reticent or they did not want to really go fast, but now they realize the potential and also the economic benefit that would come if their country were more open and allowed this technology to uh, develop. So that's one of the things right now for the United States, at least, that frankly the FAA has really stepped up their game and realized that they need to uh, be more flexible in getting feedback from stakeholders and identifying paths for, for at least in the United States for us to, to, to flourish. Yes, absolutely. There is a very critical need for that because we are not talking only about the 25, you know, I mean, several kilos or several pounds, big drones. We are, there is also micro drones, just like you mentioned, you know, very small, tiny. How are you going to regulate that as a, you know, airplane? It's not going to be possible to do that. But at the same time, this technology is bringing so much critical risk. Any terrorist can have a, any kind of uh, weapon of mass destruction uh, tied to that and you know it, they can release it in large areas and we how will we be able to prevent that so there is a lot at stake and we have i mean in cyberspace also we have a lot at stake because of the kind of the nature of the security challenges uh, coming uh, uh, our way so uh, we are talking about the internet kill switch just like you know, we talk about that in cyberspace, in airspace also, we will probably have to talk about a kill switch for drones. How do we shut it off? Right. If, you Qualcomm, know, have... Qualcomm, I'm sorry, Qualcomm, Intel, and others are working specifically AT&T, Verizon as, uh, as providers, because at the end of the day, all of us are gonna be connected through the web, the internet. And ideally what you have is you, the, a, a mix of AI machine learning, also um, the ability to be able to, at some point, a non-human be able to turn off based on an algorithm or a risk profile where, you know, or, or geofencing to the nth degree where if you're approaching and you fit this profile, then you're not even gonna be able to go there. And there's an alert mechanism to uh, identify authorities that something is occurring, right? But all of this, frankly, starts with identification. And that's the challenge that we really have, right? In order to authenticate, in order to attribute something, you first need to identify it. And so our company, I mean, we, we initially, when we did our research, we saw that that's the, you have to start with square one. And we, we've, we're developing, we've, we've developed a beacon that at least for the on, the, on the recreational side, we're able to attach it to a drone 
that's current current state. Ultimately, we want to have it inside the drone, sort of like a nano black box that's separate from the control system that comes with the drone to be able to identify the drone once it's purchased. And then it's part of a registry, which right now that's the requirement. You register with the FAA. And then it's, it's visible in the airspace because can you believe it's 2017? And you can go right now, purchase a drone at Best Buy. You go to your home, you go to your backyard, you put it up in the air, and nobody knows it's up there unless they visually see it. Or if you broadcast it on Facebook. But that's a different story. But that's the challenge is the fact that anybody can purchase a drone, utilize a drone, and authorities aren't able to readily assess who's flying it, whether they're flying in the right place, and you know what is the action that would be taken if they're flying in the wrong place. Yes, no, definitely. That is, uh, those are the things we need to talk about. And we also need to address the fact that if we consider the drones as an IoT, as an Internet of uh, Thing, and we are able to tag it, and every single drone that is manufactured in the world, if we are able to put that into a blockchain-based, some sort of you know framework that we develop, and we have every single drone that is being uh, manufactured on that tagged so we know who is you know behind that and what is it going to be used for so there is a way it is very, going to be a very huge initiative it's going to be very complex but there is a way that we can control the drone activities and we especially have to think about how to protect the individuals because when all these big players come into picture, the you know nations and states and uh, organizations and terrorist organizations and corporations, everyone has their own agenda. How to protect the individuals, not only the privacy part, but how to protect them from the security perspective. That is something we'll have to define. So those, those are very complex uh, challenges that needs to be addressed. So let, let's talk about the application of uh, drone in some really meaningful way. Uh, there are reports that Uber is in, as you, you know, suggested earlier, that Uber is also uh, planning to roll out flying taxis, mm -hmm. which is sort of like, you know, uh, drones that are used for transportation. In a, and if this, you know, becomes a reality, then this is going to be a very huge application and you will see flying cars all across nations. What what are you what are the developments and what are uh, observations that from your perspective? Okay, well that's that's uh, that's the exciting part about working in this industry, right, uh, Jeffrey? Is that uh, the the future is almost here, and uh, the FAA had their second annual symposium in DC last month in uh, in in April, and what was very interesting is that what the keynote panel that they had. Uh, envision this, envision these brands. Uh, Qualcomm, Intel, I'm sorry, uh, Qualcomm, uh, Intel, yes, Airbus, and then uh, they had the, the last one there was Uber. And all of them were brought together by the FAA. And the reason why is, and the title was the Jetsons. Are we there yet? And what was interesting is that you now have the major manufacturers of smartphones, uh, at least on the chipset side and technology side, and then of course everything that goes with that. So anything, any kind of security protocol or, or, or 
companies that are looking to develop emerging technologies that relates to smart uh, security in smartphones or in that arena are now looking to the drone market as an extension of what they are already doing with smartphones. And even further than that, if you think about it, because it is IoT, uh, they're going to have multiple use cases instead of just for communication. It'll be for a lot of other things. So it expands the market. But when you start looking at what Uber wants to do, remember, they're agnostic. They are a platform. They do not own any taxis, right? But what they need is they, they need those platforms to work. They need to have the mechanism by which they can actually fly in the sky. And so that the vision that they have is they have a vision where manufacturers are going to come up with these platforms and then they're going to be able to utilize these platforms to get people, especially in mega cities, from point A to point B as readily uh, and as fast as if there was no traffic. Because the example that they use is right now there's over 34 mega cities in, in, in the world. We're talking about uh, population centers above 5 million people. And that number is to double here in the next 15 years as far as the major metropolis cities. Well, an Uber driver that's fly, that's driving can spend an hour and a half just going uh, 15 miles, right? And so for Uber, it doesn't make sense for that to happen. And now that they have all this data that they've collected over the last five years, they now identify, okay, well, we need to take to the sky. And if that's the case, that same 15-mile journey during rush hour could only take 15 minutes if we take to the skies using an unmanned system. So Airbus is getting now into the grand transportation business because they, they've developed a concept called an AirPod, where now you are going to be you're going to be transported in this pod, and it could be in a ground transportation mode like a Tesla, or it could be in a flying mode like uh, the eHang has right now the flying uh, the flying one as others Lilium and others, or it could be in a mass transportation mode for long distances where they put your pod inside a transport for rail and you have maybe 10 pods in one area, right, one car, and then that takes you further than, say, two or three hours that would take uh, as faster to go high-speed rail to do it that way. So that's kind of vision of the future of where we're going. So let, let's talk about the drone regulations and security issues uh, that we see currently across nations. Uh, mm -hmm. How are drone owners keeping up? Is there, are they, how do they know what regulations have changed or uh, what are they expected to do? How are they expected to uh, follow all the rules? How are the drone owners supposed to keep up? Well, that's, uh, that's a good uh, question and that's the hard question, right? Because that's where you have the, uh, everything kind of comes together. You have the regulatory that has to come to, come to the table you have the consumer that knows and is educated as far as what they need to do. And then you also have to have the technology in order to be able to uh, do that. And so currently, as it stands right now uh, in the U.S., and I can't, I can speak to others, but we'll just talk about the U.S. for now, that if you have a drone that is less than 55 pounds, uh, and greater than uh, two sticks of butter or 8.8 .8 ounces, so that's the range. But basically, uh, down to about uh, a pound to 55 pounds, uh, flying daytime, visual line of sight, up to 400 feet, um, you need to have it registered. And you register that with the FAA. There's a, an online portal. You put in all your information. 
uh, I believe there's a $5 fee. And then at that point, the FA now has your information that you are registered as that drone user. Uh, one of the challenges though, is that as a recreational user, you can register once, and but you can own up to as many drones as you want, as long as you're using or flying under the recreational category. The second you are flying for commercial purposes, i.e. you're running a business, you're using the footage to sell that on your YouTube channel or you for a business to get a survey, all the commercial applications we spoke about. At that point, not only does a drone have to be registered, but you also have to have a remote pilot license uh, called the 107. Uh, and so that's how it's differentiated right now. Plus all the typical things you need to have. Yes, so absolutely. the challenge right now is is that public doesn't isn't aware they have to register Available. their drug. That is very true. That the education awareness is not there, that they are supposed to follow laws and that they are supposed to register uh, mm -hmm. their drones. Uh, so that uh, awareness is not there. I believe in Japan, there are new laws added to the aeronautics law. And the, uh, under the act, the drones, using any drone without special permission from the ministry is banned over areas for, for a population density of 4,000 people per mm -hmm. square kilometer or uh, something like that. So do we have uh, such you know, similar regulation here in the United States? We do not. The, we, what we do have is our laws right now ban any drone being operated over people without special uh, permission from the FAA. So the FAA right now has the ultimate authority of any aircraft, which again, a drone is categorized as an aircraft in our country, that they would be the ones to provide that, uh, that authority. Uh, it actually was underscored, believe it or not, Jeshri, uh, during the Super Bowl. And I'm sure, I don't, did you watch the Super Bowl here in uh, 2017 and saw that Lady Gaga had her show uh, and everything, halftime show? She came down and everything, and there was a huge uh, drone show that happened, right? What's interesting, a lot of people weren't aware of, is that there was 80,000 people there, the vice president, a bunch of VIPs and dignitaries. And uh, they they wanted to have that drone show live, but it was not. It was pre-recorded, so the FAA did not allow uh, the uh, the organizers to actually do that drone show live. What you saw on the screens was actually pre-recorded a couple of days earlier, because they would not allow the drones to fly over people, even under the most uh, scrutinized circumstances, because of. Again, the security risk. They, they, all it takes is one drone to go amiss or foul, and that could cause a pretty significant uh, conflagration. That was a wise decision because I don't think we are prepared to manage those kind of security challenges. But let's talk about the legal challenges. What practical legal measures can be taken by individuals as well as entities you know, to protect themselves from uh, this drone security? Okay. <laughs> Again, we're in the emerging field, um, and the challenge when it comes to legal is that there aren't any laws on the books. And what really comes up right now is the what the key word that keeps popping up is preemption. Yes. It, right in the United States, the FAA has ultimate authority over the airspace from a blade of grass all the way up. Right. There are certain uh, there's certain uh, situations when it comes to private property, and if you have a fence, and depending on the state, the ability for you to have your own privacy based on how high your fence is, and so on and so forth. And if you were, for example, to use a drone in the state of California, there's a law called the Paparazzi Law that was passed last year. And in essence, what it means is that if you use a drone uh, as a peeping tom, for example, say you're 
you know, you have a fence and you are expecting a reasonable amount of privacy because of that. And somebody pops a drone up above your fence line and now it's capturing image and say, for example, you're sunbathing or, or worse yet, it could be something as benign as that, you know, you have your daughter up in her room and they're in there and that imagery being recorded and then broadcast to the world on the web, whether it be on Facebook or, or uh, Periscope on Twitter. And you did not authorize that in the state of California. That is actually uh, against the law and you can't get cited for that uh, $50,000 fine. And yes. so there are uh, disparate amounts of legal structures, uh, depending on what state, depending on what county, and in some cases, depending on what municipality that you live in that have popped up. There's over 57 ordinances and laws that have been passed in the last 24 months and over 105, I believe, in the works right now uh, to attempt to regulate and provide some form of frame, legal framework by which agencies and our municipal uh, entities can actually manage the situation. I see, and I see, understandable. So now, if we talk about the cost, how affordable are these drones, different drone systems? Okay. Well, uh, recreational or commercial? Because I mean, the, the, they run Rec the gamut. Recreational are probably you know a few hundred dollars. I mean, uh, between twenty five hundred. Twenty five hundred. Yes, yes. That, okay. but commercial ones. How expensive are they? Uh, the commercial ones are going to be closer to the higher end, uh, anywhere between a thousand on up to a couple of fifteen to ninety thousand dollars, depending if you're using some of the, again, some of the current manufacturers that provide drones to the military. If you are purchasing their commercial element, for example, the Boeing and Setsu, uh, Textron has the Aerosan, uh, Aero Environment has a new one that just came out. Uh, those are going to be a little bit more substantial, and now you're talking six to seven digits. What kind of capability do you see in the drones currently, movement capability, if we talk about? I mean, we talked about that the battery life, that it doesn't last uh, longer. So it does, that is the one of the you know op technical the challenges that we have to yeah. overcome. Yes, but uh, as far as the movement, how, what kind of movement capability drones have? Well, you have the infrared, right, LiDAR. You have infrared capability. Uh, there's new sensors that are being uh, micronized as we speak, so they're getting smaller and smaller, and that's a function of payload, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, power, uh, payload, the weight, everything that has to all factor together to enable to uh, staying power and range as well. And so the capabilities right now are the same capabilities that are available, infrared, uh, 4K, so the ability to get so granular in what you're getting. Uh, and then there's other companies out there that are taking uh, sensors that they've used for years, uh, say in identifying minerals when you're looking for oil or when you're looking those kind of things. Those sensors now are being repurposed and then packaged and made smaller so that can be carried on a drone and then using that capability or, or those type of sensors now in a different uh, arena. Yes. Now let's talk about your organization. What role does it play in this you know global drone ecosystem that is developing sure well thank you uh our company drone aviator was established uh, with public safety and infrastructure in mind and so what happened uh through identifying in this wild wild west consider us the the uh merchant store of the gold rush era right what happens is we provide the picks and the shovels and the maps. And then, of course, depending on what the needs are, when they come back, it's, look, I struck gold. It's like, great, let's 
help you get that to the market and so on and so forth. But real quick, what we've identified as our sweet spot is uh, we, uh, the identification, authentication, and attribution piece. And so our technology right now is to put a beacon on every drone, starting with recreational and then and moving over to, uh, to commercial. Because if you look at the different categories that we see right now with the FAA, you have a hobbyist category and you have a, uh, a commercial category. On the hobbyist category, uh, that's going to be the large majority of the people and the drones are going to be in that category. However, that's a category that we really don't have a, a way to identify not only the drone in the sky on a digital map, but we also don't have a way to attribute who's actually flying at that time. For example, you could register that drone, your number's on that drone, the FAA knows that you're the one that's registered for that drone, and if they get hacked or somebody else is using that drone tomorrow, and it, it gets attributed back to you, but you know, I didn't use it, that wasn't me, or it was hacked, I, I wasn't even in that area. So how is that piece uh, uh, certified and how is that remedied? And that's what we're doing. We're identifying every single drone in the sky. So that way, if we can, if we can identify and attribute 90% of what's not in the sky, then the dark spots are the ones that are of our concern. It allows our law enforcement and allows the community now to regulate and see, okay, that's where we need to focus our efforts. Now that's very good. Very good. The, the world needs that kind of those kind of services. Now, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners about your efforts towards the drone security? If they want to get more information, where can they look at? What's your website address? And if there is anything you would like to tell young innovators across nations, where they should put their efforts and where mm -hmm. they should focus to make this, you know, drone industry something that could be very helpful and beneficial to the humanity and the nations all across nations and that brings a lot of economic prosperity to everyone without having us to go through some you know uh, very critical crisis and catastrophe if we are not able to manage it effectively what where would you like to see the innovations happening what would you like to tell those students and young you know people who are very excited about this uh, industry sure well number one what we're excited about the drone industry is that the the impact it can have in our in our youth. Uh, I, I'm a father of four, 16, 14, 12, and nine. And what's exciting is the one that's really taken to the drones is my 12-year-old daughter, right? She has uh, three drones of her own. Uh, we were just flying this weekend. And what's exciting about that is that it now brings to the forefront when it comes to your educational opportunities, and I'm talking about STEM, is now there is a reason and a direct correlation to learn about math, to learn about science. It's not just robotics, so that's gonna be a part of it. Now, when you see a drone, it's exciting, right? And so what we've seen and what we're looking to help uh, develop here uh, locally, as well as uh, partner with some STEM organizations nationally, is how do we get our young people and bring in drones to, to tap into their creativity, but also to provide a basis for them to to, to go after higher education, to go after those technical degrees that are gonna be required to have that basis and that educational foundation to be able to code, to be able to create their own drones, to just imagine something and then have now the tools because of the drones, because of technology and because of micronization to put together something that would solve a problem. For example, there's drones in Africa delivering uh, uh, medicines and blood products and such things in very remote areas, but the only way they're able to do that is because they have a drone, 
right? And so things like that that can occur in crisis situations when there's a storm, being able to use a drone in a swarm faction, you send out multiple drones to start identifying and codifying the different levels, densities, and then identifying where people are using the infrared so that you can have and do rescue operations more, more efficiently. I mean, these are there's so many different ways to use drones, not only here in the United States, but globally. And it starts with uh, our youth and their ability to take a, a tool like this and then create something around it. I think that's, I think, the future that we're, I'm excited to see. That, that's very true, very true. So thank you so much, Egbert, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on drone security, and I'm sure our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the understanding you provided on the security of drones and the opportunities and risk associated with the advances in the UAVs or the drones. So even if a single individual or entity is able to come up with ideas to secure the drones, innovate, to develop intelligent systems, for the complex challenges facing uh, nations and its all its industries and manage its associated security risk based on the understanding they received from this discussion we had today. This risk roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Thank you. Wonderful. So Egbert, uh, drones or unmanned aerial vehicle, UAVs seem to be here today. However, rushing to implement the drone technology and developing its applications without first being properly prepared or understanding its uh, security risk or understanding all other risks. Uh, and if we are not prepared, it can result in many complex challenges for which humanity is probably uh, not prepared for. It is therefore very important that we understand the risk associated with the drones. Risk Group Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created for these very reasons to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk facing NGIOA and CGS, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia in cyberspace, geospace, and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secured for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until ne next time, I'm Jayashree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.